But we've been just uh, singing uh, in our worship about God being faithful and looking after us in the midst of life's turmoils. And uh, coronavirus is, uh, it, it seems to be all around us at the moment. It seems to fill our news with um, uh, all sorts of advice and latest updates. And it seems from what they're saying, the, the worst is yet to come. We're potentially facing significant upheaval. Um, and you know, we, we follow government advice, so we want to be really positive about hand washing and uh, looking to contain the virus. Uh, uh, it will be a challenge, but we want to do our best in that. Um, but knowing about a problem is one thing, worrying about it is a completely different thing. And um, Christians throughout history have responded uh, in different ways to challenging moments. And uh, we're to be those, I think that came out in our worship, we're we're to be those who bring calm and hope in a world of anxiety and fear. Why? Because we serve the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we pray that we won't see uh, some of the restrictions on travel and gathering together in schools, workplaces, uh, panic buying that seems to be happening all around us at the moment. We pray that, uh, that we won't see that overwhelm us as a nation. We want to be sensible, we want to follow the advice that we're given and we're uh, going to continue meeting only if it's clear we're not free to be able to do so. But we're not those who distance ourselves from those in need. And so we're those who pray, we bring hope, we bring the love of God into difficult situations. And uh, we're free to respond in whatever way we feel is appropriate. And so if you feel anxious uh, uh, about being here on Sunday, you're free to stay at home if that's the case. But I want to say this is a place of freedom, it's a place of peace. It's a place where we trust God and we look to him, we're sensible. Um, I just thought it'd be helpful just to talk about it. Sometimes it's, we don't want it to be the elephant in the room. Second thing I want to say just as um, before we start is we've been having a special offering over the last couple of weeks. And uh, as of at uh, Wednesday this week, the offering total, which included money given, gift aid on it, and pledges, uh, and likely gift aid on the pledges, is just shy of 34,000. So that's amazing. So praise God. That's, that's great news. So thank you for your generosity. If you still uh, uh, want to give, you're able to do that. You can give online. Uh, uh, you can write a check, you can stick it in the, into the office, you can put it in the offering, just make it clear that's what you're giving for. Um, but praise God, God's good, he's faithful, he meets our needs. So this morning we're going to read from uh, uh, one verse from uh, the book of Lamentations. Now I don't know about you, but uh, Lamentations is a book that we don't often look at. Lamentations is a book that's not, not often read. And so I'm going to uh, just uh, read a verse from Lamentations. Uh, it's Lamentations chapter 1, and uh, it's verse 12. 
And we'll talk a little bit about this book uh, as we go through. But we're just going to read one verse. We're not going to read huge chunks of Lamentations. We're just going to read one verse. This is what it says. Lamentations 1 verse 12. Is this nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see. Is there any pain like mine which was dealt out to me, which the Lord made me, made me suffer on the day of his burning anger? Is this nothing to you or you who pass by? Look and see, is there any pain like mine which was dealt out to me which the Lord made me suffer on the day of his burning anger? So this image that we see in front of us is an image of the scream. It's a uh, it's uh, a picture by a guy called Edvard Munch. Uh, it was painted around about 1893. It's part of a series called The Freeze of Life and was basically conveying the inner pain and despair that many people carry. It's like a, a silent scream that, that, that is, is within many people. Annie, my wife, finds the image troubling. And when she said to me, Steve, I don't like it, I said, <clears throat> actually, you're not meant to like it. It's actually meant to provoke something. You see, the silent scream is a reminder of our inner anguish. We find it uncomfortable. In truth, we don't handle raw emotion very well at all. Listen to some of the things that people say. Listen to this. Why have you forgotten me? Talking to God. Why have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten to be gracious? In my heart, I've been faithful, yet you've crushed me. Wake up. Why are you sleeping? Get up. Why are you ignoring my suffering? Wow. I don't know about you, but I find that deeply uncomfortable language to be speaking to God. And yet, it's found in the Bible. They're all verses that are found in the Bible. We ignore them because they're too raw, too authentic, and they're too real. Somehow we feel that language like this dishonors God. It's one of the reasons we're starting a short four-week series focusing on the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. Some of you will never have come across the book before. It's only a short book. But it's there because God knows that we need to get something from its message. The book comprises five poems, possibly written by the prophet Jeremiah. The author has survived the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem, brutal siege of Jerusalem in 587 BC. And he's looking back on the terrible things that had happened before the survivors were taken into exile en masse in Babylon. Lamentations verse, is 1 verse 3 and 4, they say this. Judah has gone into exile following affliction and harsh slavery. She lives among the nations but finds no place to rest. And then the writer goes on to express that this book, this short book, is all about lamenting. The roads to Zion mourn. 
All her gates are deserted. Her priests groan. Her young women grieve and she herself is bitter. Other words for lamenting are weeping, (coughs) wailing, crying, sobbing, complaining. It's what we do when something terrible happens. Maybe like a loved one suddenly passing away. The Bible is full of laments. The book of Job is one long lament. The Psalms, one writer says about 30 to 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. But in our society, instead of lamenting, we look for someone to blame. We live in a blame culture. It must be someone else's fault when we're in trouble and experiencing pain. And likewise, the writer of Lamentations, he only accepts that the people are partly responsible. He says this, why should any living person complain, any man, because of the punishment of his sins? In Lamentations verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 39, he basically says, we're partly responsible for our sins. The nation has turned away from God, but, but even then, it was the fault of their fathers. It was our fathers before us, says in chapter 5, verse 7. But more than that, the writer blames God. God is responsible, and he is in the dock. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 32 and 33 makes it clear. Though he, God, brings grief... He will show compassion, so great is is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. He brings grief. That's what the writer says. He brings grief. But he takes no delight in doing so. What on earth is that about? Well, we've been considering this in recent weeks. Those of you who were around two weeks ago will remember I preached from Romans 28 verse 28 and it says this, and we know that God works everything together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You see, in this world, this broken, needy world, God is working out his bigger purposes. And despite the writer of Lamentations seemingly calling God, calling God the God of heaven and earth to account, God's reaction is surprising. He makes sure all of this is there, recorded for us to read and for us to benefit from. It seems God wants us to learn to lament. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, it even seems that God tells the people off for not lamenting. Read it for yourself. He says, why do the priests not cry out, where is your God? Seems that God is wanting the people to lament in that situation. Why lament? Why do we need to be a people who learn how to lament? Well, today we're going to look at four reasons. And the first is this. Lamenting helps us face reality. We live in a world full of bewildering pain and anguish. 
It isn't as God intended. We have turned our backs on the creator of the cosmos, the creator of this world, the one who formed us and breathed life into us. And we now live, the Bible says, in a fallen world, a world that's fallen away from the world that God intended. We've turned our backs on him. The Bible calls that sin. We live without reference to God. And yet in his mercy, God hasn't given up on us. He's working out his plan and his purpose to restore everything. His kingdom will come. And yet between now and then, no one can avoid the pain and anguish that comes from living in this sin-sick world. And reading Lamentations reminds us that all of us are touched by it. All of us are impacted. And as you read through Lamentations, you see it's individuals and families, men and women, young and old, married and single, religious and non-religious, strong and weak, rich and poor. Lamentations. And the message of Lamentations is so relevant in our world today. Lamentations touches the terrible things that happen in this world. You only have to read our newspapers, watch our media for short periods to see that it's true. Lamentations talks about betrayal. Talks about injustice and brutality. Talks about begging and starvation. Even talks about cannibalism. Talks about rape and exploitation. The destruction of communities and mass murder. And we live in a world where those things seemingly are around us. And we're unable to escape them. Lamentations helps us respond to these things. Helps us navigate the pain and the confusion that we experience. Some years ago, some years ago, my mum died about 11 years ago. Died of cancer. As she was dying, some of you have heard me tell this story. But I want you to get the point of this. We were sitting at the dinner table one Sunday lunchtime and my daughter Meg would have been about 13 at the time. She loved her grandmother, called her Yaya, you can see that's on the headstone. And uh, I was having to tell the kids that actually probably if there wasn't a miracle in the next few months my mum was going to die and go to be with the Lord, go to be with Jesus. And as I'm saying this to her at the dinner table, I'm saying, kids, you just need to understand this. There's this moment. Meg banged her cup on the surface. She stood up. She said, how can you say that to me? When I talk to her on the phone, she says to me that she's healed by the stripes of Jesus. And you're telling me she's going to die. What's going on? She's angry. She's angry at me. She's angry at my mother. She's angry at God furious and we have to talk to her and we have to help her and I remember Annie saying to her Meg we put our arms around her Meg Meg it's okay it's okay to let the anger out and we encouraged her to go upstairs and spend some time and draw near to God and tell him how she was feeling tell him that she was angry tell him her frustrations and allow him to speak into her heart. 
You see, these poems in Lamentations are like a stormy seashore where waves of turmoil and despair randomly crash over us. The only sense of order is in the way that they are written. The first four poems are what they call acrostic poems. They're like alphabet poems. Each verse starts with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's why there's 22 verses in the first four poems. It's at the, the first, second, and the third and fourth poems. And it stands in the stark contrast to the chaotic content. It's as if the writer is trying to rationalize something that's incomprehensible. You see, the, big, the question, why? Why is that happening? Why does that happen to me? Why is that happening in the world? It's a question to which there's often no satisfactory answer. In our Western minds, we think in nice, neat, straight lines. Suffering is an obstacle that we need to get over or avoid so that we can move on in life. Lamentations makes us realize, makes us face the reality that that isn't always possible. Nothing in the poems suggests an end to the anguish. And in fact, the end of Lamentations is as bad as the beginning. And in the middle of the third poem, that's twice as long as the others, we find the eye of the hurricane. We find peace in the storm. If we can move the slide on one for us, that'd be great. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. That's what we find in the middle of Lamentations 3. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And then just as hope seems to appear in Lamentations, it then disappears. You see, we want to see more of God's kingdom coming amongst us. Yet Lamentations reminds us we will all face difficulties. We've had a wonderful testimony in the last few weeks of Daniel, little Daniel, sharing about how God touched his ankles and has been working healing into his ankles. Came in a wheelchair, able to walk home. Miraculous. And yet we also see others who are suffering terrible pain. We live with a conundrum. Lamenting over and other's pain is a reminder of the world we live on. And our response, we press on. Why? Lamenting over ours and other's pain helps us see transformation. We're like Abraham who faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, yet without wavering in his faith in God, still believed God and still believed God's promises. We are his children. He's our father. He's the father of our faith, we're told in Romans 4. You see, learning to lament is transformative. In Psalm 84, verses 5 to 7, the writer speaks of a pilgrimage and 
how those who were on the pilgrim to, pilgrimage to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the place where God dwells. They're going to meet with God. And as they go, they, it says, the writer says, they pass through the valley of Baca. Baca is, means weeping, means tears. And so they pass through the valley of weeping on the way to meet God. And as they pass through, the writer says that the place is transformed by their tears, transformed by God. Something happens as we learn to bring our lamenting to God that is transformative. I saw it happen in my daughter. She went upstairs angry, frustrated. She came down knowing that she'd met with God. The circumstances didn't change. My mother died a few months later. She grieved deeply as that happened. But something happened inside. In the midst of her grief, she found God. Weeping is part of our pilgrimage through this world. But it can transform the places that we pass through and the people that we encounter. Secondly, lamenting helps us process pain. We live in a world where deep expressions of deep gut-wrenching emotion are not welcome. We're supposed to be stoical, showing a stiff upper lip. I don't know, for those of you who will remember this, maybe you've seen the images before, if you don't remember this incident, when Princess Diana was killed in a car accident. There was a national outpouring of grief. And there were flowers everywhere. And I remember at the time when it started, people were deeply moved. But after a while, you started to read and hear things. People started to be troubled at this deep expression of grief that was happening across the nation. I want to tell you, lamenting helps us process pain. We try to protect people from pain. We try to... Keep people away from things that are going to harm them. I understand that. It would have been easy for me to try and shut my, shut my daughter off from what was going to say. Don't worry, and, and try and shut her down. Go, there, there, it'll be all right. But actually, she needed to face up. I needed to help her face up to what was going on. She needed to go to the funeral. Hiding her away from the funeral was not going to help her. We needed to help her and walk with her through it and stand with her and help her as she processed it. Now all our children are different. But sometimes we too easily don't help people process pain. And when that happens, what, ha what happens? We bottle it up. We store it away. We shut the door of our hearts behind certain areas. And do you know what? It causes problems later on. We need to learn to process pain. I remember listening to a leader of a large church say that he hadn't cried since he was 15. Hadn't cried since he was 15 because something terrible had happened when he was 15 and he determined he wasn't going to cry again. This guy now in his 30s. And he has this moment, he said he had this moment of almost like he would say close to a breakdown. And he finds himself, he can't stop weeping. And he's, 
all the brokenness inside, God needed to bring it out, needed to set him free. And he talked about how God had broken in, in the midst of, broken through the doors that he put up to hide his pain. And God started to work on him and he learned to process the pain that he experienced as a kid. I think bottling everything up is maybe one of the reasons why we are seeing such an exponential increase in mental health issues in our country. We are holistic beings. We are created. We're emotional beings. We're meant to be able to express and vent our feelings. Holding them in can cause psychological damage. But there's no safer place to vent those feelings than the presence of a loving Heavenly Father. So when Meg is venting, as parents, we come, we don't say anything, we just put our arms around her and we love her. We're big enough to take, why did you say that, Dad? As we just hold her in her pain. That's what God does with us. God's big enough to be able to cope with your pain. God's presence is the place to express our sorrow, our anger, our fear, our longing, our confusion, our desolation, our repentance, when we've messed up, our disappointments, or even our depression. Even, even if our frustration and anger starts off at God. Fran's going to be talking a little bit more about that next week. God values us being honest. Lamenting, thirdly, is an expression of faith. Lamentations is a series of gut-wrenching poems written by someone crying out to God, not about him. This is what it says. But Lord, you remain the same forever. Your throne continues from generation to generation. Why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us for so long? Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. You see, cynicism pushes us away from God. Lamenting draws us in faith to the only one who can turn our circumstances around. God wants us to bring our anxieties, our burdens, our pain, our fear, and he's big enough to cope with it all. True lamenting is a sign of our faith in God. Deep down, we know he's the only one who can influence the situation we're in. Grieving over a situation that, that seemingly can't change, one writer calls, it's like a call to arms. It's like a say, come on God, breakthrough for me. Paul Little in his book, A Praying Life, says this. We think laments are disrespectful. God says the opposite. Lamenting shows you are engaged with God in a vibrant, living faith. We live in a deeply broken world. If the pieces of our world aren't breaking your heart and you aren't in God's face about them, then you've thrown in the towel. The key to... He is complaining to God, not grumbling about him. As we lament, we submit to his sovereignty. He is still on the throne. These laments end acknowledging that God is still on the throne. Verse 19 of chapter 5, you, O Lord, reign forever. You, O Lord, reign forever. 
Many are stoical about the chaos in the world around. As God's people, we long for a better world. We cry to God to bring it about. It's why Jesus encourages us to cry, God, let your kingdom come. Lamenting brings two live wires together. And when you bring two live wires together, sparks fly. And yet there's power. And these two wires are our pain and God's promise. And when we bring them together, the sparks fly, but there's a release of power. And the writer is reminding God of his promises over the city that has been devastated and the people who are, in, who are in exile. Lord, remember what happened to us, he's saying. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Our inheritance from you. Lord, that's your promise to us. You gave us a promise of an inheritance. And in desperate situations, we remind God. That's why we remind God of his precious promises. Lastly, and most importantly, lamenting leads us to Christ. Lamenting reminds us that Jesus said in John chapter 16, you will have suffering in this world. And then he says, be courageous, I have conquered the world. In Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 it says this, during his earthly life, Jesus' earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals. He offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus lamented. He knew what it was to lament. He knew the impact of sin and sickness and he hated what he saw in the world and he lamented over it. Jesus also knew what it was to be forsaken by his closest friends, his disciples. However, more than that, he knew there was a moment that would come when he would be left and abandoned by his father. It was at the forefront of his mind the night before his crucifixion. He was about to receive on the cross the punishment for our wrongdoings that we might be able to be forgiven by God our Father. <clears throat> and in his sorrow he drew near to God and he cried out this, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. His anguish was so great. The writer says that he began to sweat look, look like drops of blood. Medically, that is possible. Under such stress, he started to sweat blood. Hours later, we hear his bleak lament on the cross as he died bearing our sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The depth of agony behind those few stark words are just impossible for us to comprehend. If you think God doesn't understand pain, you are much mistaken. God knows pain and understands our pain. He knows what it is to see his son suffer on the cross. Christ, the son of God, part of the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, bore our pain and anguish on the cross. The answer to our laments are found in a crucified, 
Savior, but in a risen Christ. Jesus Christ conquered the grave. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn about the verse that we read at the beginning. And this is the hymn he wrote, all ye that pass by. This is one of the verses. All ye that pass by to Jesus draw nigh. To you is it nothing that Jesus should die. Your ransom and peace, your surety he is. Come see if there ever was sorrow like his. He understands. He knows our pain. It's why that we can have confidence in crying out to God. We're doing just what Jesus did. We can tell God we're scared. We can tell him we're frustrated. We can share with him our doubts. We can share our anxieties. We can ask the questions that we would otherwise be tempted to keep to ourselves. Like David in Psalm 13, verse 1, we can boldly cry, How long, O Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? Lamenting leads us to Christ. As we come to conclusion, centuries ago, small bottles were used to collect tears as a sign of respect during mourning. It probably goes back to 1000 BC during King David's reign. And David made reference to it in Psalm 56 verse 8. He says this, Record my lament, speaking to God. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? The New Living Translation paraphrases it like this you O oh God keep track of all my sorrows you have collected all my tears in your bottle you have recorded each one in your book our tears are precious to God they're part of our worship of him Someone once said this, there is sacredness in tears. They're not a mark of weakness, but of power. They speak more eloquently than 10,000 tongues. They are the messengers of overwhelming grief, of deep contrition, and of unspeakable love. This morning, God is starting to speak to us about being a people who are increasingly authentic with him. For many of us, there are parts of our lives we have shut off. We're afraid to bring them into the open because somehow we think God will look down on us. It's not right to express those things. Well, if the writers in the Bible did, and if Jesus in his darkest moment was able to cry out to God, why have you forsaken me? Surely you can. Because when you do, you're going to find a father who will come to you and wrap you in his arms. He may not say anything to you, but he put his arms around you. You will know the nearness of God as you come to him, as you bring your grief to him, a sign of faith 
as you look to him and look to the cross where Christ bore our sorrows that we might receive grace. Let's stand together. Can I ask the band to come up? And I'm going to pray and then just hand over. Father, we thank you. I, right now, we just want to open the doors of our hearts to you. All those locked doors, doors that we've kept locked for years, we open to you and we say, we want to be honest with you. We want to be authentic with you. And we thank you that as we come and bring our anguish, our pain, our sorrow to you, thank you that you are faithful. We bring the two strands, we bring our pain and we cling hold of your promises and we put them together and we say, oh God, oh God, oh God, come and meet with us this morning. Set us free. In Jesus' name.